And right before they were getting ready to break to go into the stadium, we saw this little slim kid standing up in front of the entire team. And I'm like, at that time, you know, he didn't register to me that this was black men from Bell, from, from Glade Central. Hmm. But I'm like, well, who is this little kid? Uh, what was more confusing was that the team gravitated to him. And they were like, okay with him giving the speech before they went out to face Crimson, the Crimson Tide in Alabama. Hey guys, it's Terrence Nan. You're listening to Hear the Spear presented by No Game Day. Go Dolls. Hey, what's up? This is Peter Ward, aka E Dub, in the house. So we're listening to Hear the Spear presented by No Game Day. Go live, go Nose. Hi, this is Charlie Ward, and you're listening to Hear the Spear, Go Nose. This is Terrell Buckley. You're listening to Hear the Spear presented by No Game Day. No bloody. But perhaps better known as the greatest corner to ever step on a football field, Deion Primetime Sanders. Great Deion Sanders, my brother. What's going on, man? I, I could wake up to that greedy every day, man. That was awesome. Hello, those fans. This is former Seminole Derek Brooks, and you're listening to Here's the Spear, presented to you by No Game Day. James Wilder Jr. What's going on, James? Thanks for having me on SSOD, Florida State or Die, and go no. William Barnon Floyd. Gentlemen, what's up? What's happening, guys? This is Logan from Here the Spear, presented to you by Noel Game Day. We have a pretty awesome interview with a former Noel and two-time Super Bowl champion from my Pittsburgh Steelers, Bryant McFadden, on this podcast. Uh, he talks about his time at Florida State, Bobby Bowden, Mickey Andrews, a lot of his teammates back in the day. Also, of course, his time in Pittsburgh, where he won a Super Bowl his rookie year. Um, ended up winning another one, too. Uh, and also, he talks about the current situation at Florida State, his thoughts on Willie Taggart, and a few guys that he thinks will break out on offense and defense and as a whole. And he also talks about James Blackman and his leadership. He has a pretty cool story to share about him before the Alabama game when he was a true freshman. Uh, I, I think all the FSU fans will look forward to hearing that. But before we send you to that interview, we're going to go through our quick hitters of the week. Let me welcome you to our two co-host, lead writer Dustin Lewis, and our lead graphic designer Fisher Goober Atkins. And yeah, I guess it's it's only fitting to have a Pittsburgh Steelers Super Bowl champion on here after we had Derek Brooks, who won one with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, on here a couple months ago. So Logan. bet you're happy, Logan. I am. I'm ecstatic. I think I think everybody's gonna like the interview. And me being a Pittsburgh Steeler, um, well, actually, hold up. Wait, we're are we missing Fisher Atkins? Because no, do, do no. we need to get you a Super Bowl no. champion on? No, no, no. I just wanted Has to Tennessee say, even won a Super Bowl before. They they were one yard away from winning a Super Bowl. One so they don't. They didn't win one. Is what you're telling me? Correct. Uh, <laughs> weak, weak I just man I just excuse. I do want to address. Um, the fact that you you called me a goober now twice in a row. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, you completely missed it last week. I was surprised. Well, I, I was letting it slide, but I just want to let you know that my dad listened to the last episode and Uh-oh. he laughed at me. <laughs> we were listening to it in the car, and he laughed at me. Oh, uh, now does he? You really don't. You really don't think he doesn't think you're a goober. I probably thought it before, and now he. Now he's not opinion now. And he listens to me like I'm I'm a model and I'm a role model for everybody in the world. So he definitely believes in what I'm All saying, right. right? My my dad loves you, Logan. 
<laughs> okay, we're going to get on to the news here, everybody. Uh, yeah, okay. We're going to get on with it here uh, before we waste anybody's time if they're listening to the car with their family members. So, um, <laughs> I don't want to change this to rated R on the podcast, all right? So... <laughs> That sounded so much weirder than I meant it to. I'm really yes, sorry. Yes, yes. <laughs> Golly, I'm sweating now. Thanks a lot. Um, okay, so all right, here's a, we, we're going to run through some of these highlights of the week. Um, we were told, and from a source close to, to Landon Dickerson, uh, as you know, we talked about last week, um, he's re-entered the transfer portal. Uh, we've heard that he's planning on transferring to Alabama. Looks like... Um, it's taken a little while. He's finishing up summer classes, but it looks to be uh, roll tide way, if you want to say that, if that's ever been said before. But uh, he's going to be heading. With, it hasn't. <laughs> I had a feeling, but it. Uh, he's going to be transferring to Alabama. Uh, any any quick thoughts on that, Dustin? Is it is it a little odd? I mean, is, I know a lot of fans when we broke the news were a little shocked, but are you the same way? I mean. If anything, I'm surprised that he didn't go to uh, Texas A&M to reunite with Jimbo Fisher, you know. But, mm-hmm. I mean, you can't – I guess you can't pass up Alabama when you pretty much know you're going to be in the playoffs and have a chance at getting a ring. Yep. I mean, you can go to Alabama. Why not? <laughs> That's how it is. <laughs> really, it's, it's going to come down to him staying healthy. I mean, we know he's only played in – 11 games during his career at Florida State through uh, three, three, four seasons. So heading heading over to Alabama, I'm not sure if he's going to have a chance to start right away, but he reportedly has two years of eligibility left. So, you know, if he can stay healthy, he can definitely get on the field and, and maybe make it to the NFL. I mean, that's the final goal. Is he eligible immediately? Um, As long as he graduates in the summer, he'll be able to play in the fall. Okay. While we were recording this, when we first hit the record button, it uh, just came out that former five-star wide receiver uh, who came to Florida State, George Campbell, uh, his first initial place to transfer to was Penn State, and I thought that was a pretty good place for him to land, but it just came out uh, you know, he a couple weeks ago that he was not going to make it, or a week ago I think it was, that he was not going to make it to Penn State, but uh, it came out tonight, this is Tuesday. Uh, that he will be transferring to West Virginia, where I think that's an amazing uh, spot for him to land. Best of luck to him. He's a speedy guy, fast, and I think that works perfect in West Virginia. Any thoughts on that, you guys? Yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, I think it's a really good fit. I mean, obviously, West Virginia, they love to throw the football, even though Will Greer's moved on to the NFL. And I mean, just taking a look at their receiving core, their top two receivers, David Sills and Gary Jennings Jr., have moved on to the NFL, and those guys combined for a whopping 1,900 yards and 28 touchdown pa- or catches a season ago. So there's definitely room for Campbell to make an impact. Yeah, the door's wide open for Campbell to, to have a big season uh, and potentially make a run uh, at the NFL after after this year. And like Digger said, it all depends on him staying healthy. Right, right, right. Yeah, his mm-hmm. his career was, was sidelined mostly due to injury as well at, at Florida State. So yeah. best of luck to George. And lastly, before we send you over to the interview with Bryant McFadden, uh, Florida State baseball is on a roll right now. They had a really impressive uh, regional in Athens where Georgia hosted it. Uh, Florida State is hitting pretty dadgum good. Um, 
FAU they faced they went 13 and won 13 to 7 in game 1 they faced Georgia and absolutely dominated that game 12 to 3 and they played them again in the championship game to move on into the super regional they beat Georgia 10 Two one. So the bats are hitting good. The runs are coming in. I know our Brett Nevitt. Uh, if you're not following him on Twitter, I would most definitely suggest following him there. He is keeping you updated on everything, even with the MLB draft uh, going on right now. Um, he is going to be covering the entire Super Regional against uh, LSU. Uh, game one will be Saturday, uh, and it will be on ESPN. And I believe that game is at. 3 p.m. Unless I'm going crazy, it should be at 3 uh, 3 p.m. Um, I'm gonna double check here for you guys. Do 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 do. Yes, that game is at 3 p.m. on Saturday. Uh, on Sunday, they'll face off at 6 p.m. And if there is a necessary uh, need for a game three, it will be on Monday at 8:30. So if Florida State uh, can get two wins out of that series they will go to Omaha so we will keep you guys updated on that and uh, we will go ahead and lead you off to the interview with Brian McFadden like I always say you can always listen to the podcast on iTunes Spotify SoundCloud if you're on iTunes and you enjoyed the podcast feel free to rate us five stars it helps a lot and uh, yeah enjoy the interview and we will see you guys next week Alright guys, we are with our guest this week. We're really excited about this one. I am personally. I'm a, I'm a Steelers fan at heart since I was little, so I'm excited for this interview. Uh, we have a guest, played at Florida State from 2000 to 2004, five-star corner recruit, um, and also was drafted in the second round by the Steelers in 2005, and a nice little addition, a two-time Super Bowl champion, Bryant B. Mack McFadden. How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. How you doing? Doing great. Doing great. It's always it's nice talking to a Steeler. I have to say. Ah man, listen, man. I, I tell people all the time when it comes to professional sports, uh, the Steelers, the, the the fan base is probably uh, the best in the in the world. I mean, the support is uh, is always there. It's consistent, even when you're not competing for championships. I mean, they wear uh, their emotions on their sleeves any given time when you're talking about football. Mm-hmm. They do travel well. I do know that, and the terrible towel is just adds a little bit of the effect too. But I, I want to ask you, you know, starting off early, you know, your, your career at Florida State, and, and you know, there was a pretty legendary coach there while you were playing with Bobby Bowden. Could you give just a little couple thoughts on him and your your experience there at Florida State early on? Uh, legendary. Uh, when he was recruiting me, um, you know, in two thousand, he was. Uh, iconic individual when you talk about college football and that played a big part in my decision to go to Florida State uh, outside of that the coaches that he had surrounded him especially on the defensive side was a huge factor with me knowing that coach Mickey Andrews will be hands-on with me a guy that has coached you know legend after legend and also to the success I mean Florida State at that time had just won the national championship against Virginia Tech in the Sugar Bowl and when I watched that ball game, that literally put a stamp of approval on where on where I was going to go. Watching Peter Ward 
uh, watching uh, Corey Simon. I mean, you had so many Tommy Pauly. You had so many outstanding players, Travis Minor, Dugas, Chris Winkie. I mean, that was an NFL-like team that I was watching, and I wanted to be a part of that. And, yeah, Brian, while you were at Florida State, who were some of the teammates and coaches that you were closest with? Uh, my entire recruiting class, we were extremely close. Uh, you know, I came in the class of 2000, and we had guys like, uh, you know, myself, um, Greg Jones, Alex Barron, Travis Johnson, Leroy Smith, Johannes Buchanan, um, Eric Moore, Chauncey Stovall, uh, Bobby Meeks, who uh, passed uh, not too long ago, Ray Willis, Claudius Osei, the Darling brothers. I mean, we were all close, and for the most part, we still have some type of contact today, and that means a lot. Um, so for me, it's hard to pinpoint. I would say Travis Johnson probably was you know, the I- ideal homeboy for me because we were roommates there in Burt Reynolds, um, and also we were there – we 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 had our official visit the same weekend, so that was my first intro uh, to Travis being a California kid, and uh, you know the type of player that he was coming in to Florida State with all the accolades he had coming from the West Coast. But in all in all, I can say our class was a very very tight knit group. Going back, I know you mentioned about Mickey Andrews, but can you tell us a little bit about him as your like a relationship off the field and then definitely on the field? Because we've heard lots of stories. We've had a bunch of guys on here talking about Mickey Andrews. Uh, Derek Brooks was one of them talking highly of him. But just tell me how he is as a coach uh, off the field and also on the field. I mean, on the football field, he's a passionate individual. He's a tough-minded individual. He's a no-nonsense type of coach. Uh, he wants you to shoot for the stars as far as being perfect, and that's the way that's the way he coaches. I mean, he's a guy that coaches hard, and he expects for you to play hard, and I really like that because his coaching method didn't just prepare you to be successful on the football field. It also prepared you to be successful in life, and that means a lot when you're dealing with 18-, 19-year-old, 20-year-olds, uh, 20-year-old individuals that sometimes do not come from the best ideal situation as far as background. So I love that coaching style, but at that time, it can become a bit annoying. It can become a bit difficult. Sometimes, I mean, when it's hot outside and he's cussing you out, it's a thousand degrees and you know, you're, 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 you're tired mentally and physically and he keeps drilling at you, drilling at you to try to continue to do it the right way. You know, you want to get right. You want to lash out at him, but all in all, now you really appreciate what he was doing. And away from the football field, it was like the Jekyll and Hyde syndrome. I mean, he was told, he was night and day. He was <laughs> night and day. I mean, he's extremely kind. He's extremely polite. Uh, he was he was welcoming. I mean, he said all the nice, all the right things to you and your family. And then once he stepped foot on that football field, I mean, it was a different personality. <laughs> Not so nice one on the football field. Not at all. <laughs> Brian, some some people may not uh, be familiar, but you're actually cousins with one of the greatest corners to ever play the game, uh, Patrick Peterson. Uh, would you mind just telling us a little bit about him and, and what makes his game so special, and uh, kind of how much do you guys like stay in touch and stuff like that? Uh, the thing about Pat, I think, before you talk about anything football related, he is probably one of the best athletes playing the cornerback position. I mean, a guy that can be was six one, six two, 
over 210 pounds, can run 4-3, can jump 40, extremely quick. I mean, he has all the skill sets and the attributes that you would want from a cornerback, from a football player in general. But then when you put in, when you also add to those outstanding athletic traits, ball skills, instincts, uh, uh, the mental part, you know, football IQ, uh, tough-minded, can fight through adversity. I mean, I'm not surprised to see Pat, you know, do what he has been doing so far in his professional career. He came in with a lot of high expectations. Uh, he has reached all of those expectations, and he's still doing some good things. He's just an like, exceptional player. And the thing about Pat was, uh, of course, I'm from Hollywood. He's from Pompano, so that's just Broward County. And watching him in high school at, at Ely, uh, Pat played corner. He also played quarterback. And he was just a skillful offensive player, uh, just like he was on the defense side. If he really wanted to play both ways, he could have. And early in his career, especially at LSU, he was a quality punt returner, kickoff returner. And then early in his career at Arizona, he did the same. And he kind of shied away from that. And I always told Pat, I'm like, okay, I understand you're setting your mark as a lockdown corner, but you might want to continue to return punts and do it at a high level because, I mean, when he first came into the league, you guys, if you guys remember, uh, I mean, he was a difference maker with that football in his hands. Mm-hmm. He was. Absolutely. And, yeah, moving on to your NFL career, can you describe the feeling of winning the Super Bowl as a rookie with Pittsburgh? I mean, I can't imagine being drafted and then not even a year later having a ring on my finger. Can you just Man, talk listen, about that, that a little bit? <laughs> Yo, that, that was a surreal moment. I, I went from, uh, you know, playing in the Senior Bowl, going through, uh, going through the Combine Pro Day, get drafted, mini camps, OTAs, training camp, preseason, regular season, postseason, Super Bowl. I was extremely tired mentally and physically, but I was like, I can't believe this actually happened to me. And as a child wanting to play football my entire life, the biggest dream was getting to play, getting a shot to play in the NFL. The second biggest dream was winning a championship. And I think that would be the, that would be the same, you know, throughout any, child growing up wanting to play football. You want to get drafted, but you want to win a Super Bowl. I did so my rookie year, and I thought it was easy. I thought I was supposed to win a, win a championship every year because I didn't know nothing else outside of winning a Super Bowl. Uh, but now, you know, looking back on my career and looking at so many great players that we believe to be great, never getting an opportunity to win a championship. I mean, some players never get an opportunity to play in the postseason. You know, I played seven years. We missed the playoffs one one year. You know, so I was a very very fortunate, blessed individual. Went, landed in the ideal situation in Pittsburgh. But yeah, that that Super Bowl man, I, it, it it was. I won two. I played in three. I won two. But I always think about because that gave me that was my first taste of what greatness felt like. Mm-hmm. Um, being a part of something great and then reminiscing about the struggles getting to that level. And now you taste it. The best comparison I can give to anybody may never get an opportunity to live in that moment. would be going, getting on the highest roller coaster you've ever been on. I mean, that first time you get on it, you're going to be, whoop. I mean, you know, those, those heels and those drops going to really have you, uh, about to throw up. You know, the same time you get on that same roller coaster, now you know kind of what to expect. 
you know when to brace yourself when you're going up on a big time hill or a big time climbing. You know you're about to come down this. You know you know how to brace yourself. So the second time won't provide an impact the first time, and that's similar to what I experienced. The first time was great because I didn't know what to expect. Before, so I understood. You know, after winning the championship, but it doesn't get old. Don't get me wrong; it does not get old. But just winning that first one, I mean, usually the first of anything is always uh, something you never forget. It's always the most memorable experience, whatever it might be. Right in uh, 2005, your rookie season. Speaking on that that special season, uh, you made a play in the 2005. Uh, AFC Divisional Playoff game against the Indianapolis Colts. And if you don't make that play, there's a great chance uh, that you don't win that Super Bowl that year. Um, so I'm going to play a clip uh, from that play, and then I'll get your take on it. I think Mike Vanderjad would appreciate a few more yards. Oh, you bet. Manning's going for it all. The lane. Incomplete. Rookie Bryant McFadden with the coverage. Whoa! Talk about a rookie having to step up to the big time. Tony's looking. Tony's looking for pass interference. <laughs> Boy, the rook is out there for a big time play. No way do you call interference you on that. No. He's so that's that's rookie Brian McFadden going going up against one of the best receivers in the league, Reggie Wayne. Uh, like they're saying, your rookie season. Um, Huge, massive play uh, to break up a pass that was almost caught for a touchdown in the fourth quarter with 30 seconds left. That would have put Indianapolis on top of the Steelers. Um, take us through that moment in that play. Um, and so what What was it like to, to come out on top? Well, the play, well, the moment, I mean, the, 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 the last few plays leading up to that pass attempt was the unthinkable. We were up. I mean, we were talking trash to the fans because we were up. The time was running off on the, running off on the clock. Our office had the football. And if you've been living under a rock, you know, you don't understand exactly what happened. So let me fill you in. I think we were up like maybe um, – I think we were up three points at the time. And it was under a minute. Uh, we had the ball inside the five-yard line, like the two-yard two line. We're in our goal line formation. And worst-case scenario, we don't score – they don't get the ball back anyway. They don't have enough timeouts to stop the clock to get the, to get the ball back. So either we score or we don't. But regardless, we're in prime position to win that ball game. Jerome fumbles uh, the football. So now we're not even at, before that snap. We're talking so much trash to their fans because that year the Colts had one of the best teams in the NFL, and many people felt like we were going to get slapped in the mouth. You know what I mean? We barely got into the playoffs. We didn't even win our division. And many felt like the Colts were going to have their way against us. And early in the year, they kind of just stomped us. Uh, they 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 beat us real bad early in the year. So they're they're talking. They were talking trash throughout the game. So now it's our opportunity to talk trash back. And instantly, we just heard the crowd go crazy. JB fumbles. Nick Harper picks the fumble up. He's returning. We're like, oh my goodness! What? I mean, you're talking about having a frog in your throat. I mean, literally, man, like your stomach just dropped to the turf. So he's uh, trying to scramble. Uh, Big Ben was able to just to just to you know just barely touch his ankle. He falls. Now we have to go from uh, talking trash to being extremely shocked to go on the football field to prevent a potential a future Hall of Famer from driving driving down the football field with 
a Hall of Famer in the backfield, potential in Adrian James, Marvin Harrison Hall of Fame, and Reggie Wayne. We know he will stop these guys from the scoring range or Brady has scored a touchdown. I'm the only rookie on the football field. And at that time, we were we had a call called Indy Fire Zone. Indy Fire Zone was a fire zone where we, where we sent edge pressure. So usually our outside linebackers, guys like Joey Porter, Clark Hagan, if we had a dime package, it could be a guy like Troy, you know, it could be a nickel. But Indy Fire Zone was our, our, our ideal call. We had five sacks on Indy Fire Zone alone. So Fire Zone concept for me was basically straight man. Don't expect any help. We came out. And they kind of made some adjustments. They were able to pick up uh, 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 the Indy Fire Zone. They completed a pass. Now they're in a no huddle form formation. Now we're trying to get the call. The call is not coming in fast enough. So literally another fire zone. I'm a man to man, man, man again, Reggie. And now Peyton is able to go through his progressions and not before the snap. I'm sorry. He's looking at to see what we're in. He sees single high safety. He knows we're bringing pressure, and he knows there's a young rookie out here on his all-pro wide receiver by himself in one-on-one and like a one-on-one drill. Of course, you know, he's going to target me. And he did. And I just, listen, if the play happened so slow and it felt like I couldn't hear anything, it was quiet. I know sometimes people talk about instantly audio just going away, but in that situation, the audio was on mute. It was slow motion, and I thought, I said, listen, Reggie is a heck of a player, and he loves attacking the ball to the highest point. Whatever I do, I need to fight to the end. Mickey Andrews used to always emphasize that Florida State, fight until the whistle blows. And if you remember that play, you consistently see me swiping my, uh, using my arm to swipe his arm to make sure he doesn't have the ball because he almost made an unbelievable catch anyway and got that PBU. And the next play, they they tried to pump and go me, and Peyton and Reggie were not on the same page. He actually threw the pump instead of throwing the go, and I almost had an interception. And and I couldn't get my hands, both of my hands, under the football, so I didn't get a chance to pick it off. But those two plays, man, something I would never forget because we're talking about earlier you asked me what it was like winning Super Bowl forty. If those plays don't happen with Big Ben, making the tackle on Nick Harper, um, you know, the two uh, uh, offensive play, defensive plays I made leading to a, a Vanderjack missed field goal opportunity. If those plays don't happen, we're not talking about right. winning our first Super Bowl. Right. Yeah. I want You talked a little bit about Tro, uh, Troy Palomalu, one of the best safeties to ever go through the game and football alone. I want to get your thoughts on playing beside him uh, through numerous seasons and just how he was as a lead, you know, as a someone to look up to in some case, and also as a as a guy off the field because he's he's one of the best known players to come out of Pittsburgh, and there's a lot of them. But once you hear about Troy Polamalu, you know, you instantly think about the hair and everything like that. But a, a great player. But just give me your thoughts as being a teammate with him. One of the best individuals I've ever met. He's just an awesome human. Uh, he's an awesome human being. Nothing bad I can say about Troy. Uh, soft-spoken, kind-hearted, selfless individual, extremely polite. Troy is the type of individual, speaking from a man perspective, you would love for him to date your sister or you would love for him to date your daughter. 
There are not too many individuals, males, you would say that about. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but he is that type of individual. Um, super, super smart, super gifted. Uh, night and day, when you see him off the football field compared to what he was on the football field, uh, we used to call him Baby Jesus because he was always in the right place at the right time. I mean, we were <laughs> like, man, we're not living right. Troy's living differently because he's always around a play. But it was solely because he was so smart and he didn't ha- he, he never was afraid of being wrong. Um, his light was always on green. It never was on yellow. It never was on red. His light was always on green and, he, green, and he studied so well, so he was always in great positions to be successful. And I'm just happy to be able to play alongside a guy like Troy and still have a relationship with him. I, I'm, I was listen when I in Pittsburgh, and not just talking about defensive players. Some of the guys I played with: uh, Jerome Hines, Alan Fanica, um, Big Ben, of course, mm-hmm. um, Randall L, uh, Casey Hampton, James Area Troy, The Shade, Florida State on Chris Holt, uh, Larry Foot. I mean, so many iconic like players that will ever will forever be remembered in Pittsburgh and we were special. I mean, we had a special, special group. I know, you know, we played in three. You should have won all three Super Bowls, to tell you the truth. We should have had three three rings on our fingers. But the type of player that Troy was, the majority of, of our team had the same type of personality. You know, Troy used to always tell us, you know, when one player make a play, we all make a play. And, you know, we felt like he was the Michael Jackson of the Jackson 5. He was the lead singer. <laughs> and we knew that, and we were okay with that because, I mean, he's an exceptional player, and if we all do what we're supposed to do, we'll be an outstanding group. You know, if I'm, on, if I'm playing the drum, I better be the best drum player I can, I can be. If I'm on the bass guitar, as long as we got Michael and we do what we need to do, I mean, we'll be unstoppable when we work. We've seen... Um, Jalen Ramsey and Derwin James develop into two of the young defensive stars in the league. I mean, how high of a ceiling do you think these two guys have going forward? Yeah, the, I believe this ceiling is extremely high, and here's why I feel that way. Um, you know, some of the same things I were talking about with Patrick Peterson being an extremely gifted player before he steps on the football field because of his athleticism. Uh, they had the same attributes. You know, Jalen, I felt, I felt like Jalen would be a better pro than he was college player. And that's hard to say because he kind of did everything he wanted to do plus more in a Florida State uniform. But I felt like once he gets to the NFL, his ability to learn how to study the game will really show up big time. And it has. And looking at Derwin, I mean, we knew what Derwin was. I think the most disappointing thing you can say about Derwin James, it's not about him, just the unfortunate issues with the injury because we never got an opportunity to see him really take off in a Florida State uniform. I feel like based on what Derwin did as a freshman in Tallahassee, he definitely had a store award in his sights. But remember what happened. He got hurt early in the sophomore year and then came back his uh, uh, third year, played some pretty good football, but clearly, you know, he wasn't the same player he was as a freshman. I think more so of that had to deal with the injury, getting over that. And now we see a healthy Derwin James, and he's unstoppable. And it's funny that you mentioned these two guys. Well, it's not funny because, of course, this is a, you know, a Florida State-like related podcast. But, you know, I spoke with Pat. Me and Pat, uh, we talk all the time, you know, weekly. 
you know, either text messages or, you know, uh, phone calls. Uh, but Pat, it was about over a month ago or sometime throughout this off season, uh, <laughs> Derwin and Jalen reached out to Pat and they wanted to train with him. And, and Pat said he had a great time working out together, said he really uh, appreciated them reaching out. Uh, and outside of them reaching out, he has constant dialogue going with them, you know, talking about the game. But that tells you where Jalen and Derwin, where they are as players. They're trying to continue to get better, you know what I mean? And for them to reach out to an older guy who plays in the secondary, still playing at a high level, for them to feel like, you know what, there's some things I can learn from him. Let's work out together. That tells you these these guys are chasing greatness. Yeah, and, and uh, transi- transitioning now to sort of the current state of Florida State football, uh, can you give us your thoughts on Willie Taggart as a coach at Florida State? Um, just all considering that, you know, obviously there's tons of talent around him. There's tons of talent to work with, guys like Cam Akers, uh, Tamori and Terry. Um, can you give us just your opinion on, on Taggart as a coach and do you think he can be successful at FSU? I think he has to be successful um, because that's the standard. I think what we saw last year was a coach that walked into a situation not knowing exactly what he had uh, before him. Um, knowing that, yes, Florida State has always been known to recruit talented players, but going into a situation where the former coach, you know, he didn't get fired. He just walked away. And mentally, some of the players were definitely affected by that. I've never been in that situation um, as far as a coach walking away to take another job. I've been in the situation in Pittsburgh where a coach retired, but he didn't leave us to go get another job. And at that time, you're an adult. So you can handle things mentally totally different than what you can as a child, as a, 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 a growing man. And I think when he went, when he got the opportunity to be the head coach at Florida State, he actually thought it would be a little easier than what it was. Now it's not. Number one, you got to learn your personnel. You got to learn what players do well, what they don't do well, and also too, you got to get these players to believe in what you're doing. That it will put them in positions to be successful. Not to mention, you got to find a way to get the players mentally away from what happened a year ago, because the guys that Coach Taggart were uh, was coaching last year. All of those, all of those individuals, basically were Jimbo's recruit, and who knows, uh, you know, what would have happened if, you know, Jimbo didn't leave. What would have happened this past season? But we do know one thing: two different coaches, two different schemes, and clearly, it took some time for the recruits that Jimbo recruited for his scheme on both sides of the football to get adjusted to the new scheme that we saw last year. So I think this year, most importantly, we have to see some growth. We have to see some development, and that's what I expect to see. I know people say, you know, it can get worse. If this if this is the Florida State that we know, it can't get any worse, and it won't get any worse. You know what I mean? That right. was the worst year you can think of, only winning five ball games. So hopefully we can get this. If there's no hopefully, I'm sorry, we're going to get it right. <laughs> <laughs> Last season, we saw Tamori on Terry blow up on the field. Can can you just give us one guy on both sides of the ball you expect to break out in 2019? Ooh, defensively, break out, break out. I think uh, I think Samuels is going to have a pretty good year. Uh, I love his game. Uh, he's a talented player. Um, you know, we saw growth from him. 
last year, uh, especially when he got more playing time. And one thing I like about Samuels, he's a competitor. And even if an opposing player, you know, gets the best of him, he continues to get right back up and get in the fight. Uh, and, you know, like I keep emphasizing, Mickey Andrews is something that he always talked about. Get in, there, get in the fight. Find a way to get in the fight. He did so. And I, and I think his development, development uh, mentally and physically is going to play, is going to be huge for our success in the secondary because of his experience and because of the confidence that he has. Uh, defensively, I mean, I'm sorry, offensively, you know, when you look at the type of offense that we're, we're getting ready to see uh, with uh, Browse as the new OC, two guys that I expect to see do some pretty good things that I'm a fan of. <clears throat> number one, Keyshawn Helton. Number 20. I like number 20 because I, I won number 20 in the league. So, <laughs> instantly, you know, I'm drawn to him. <clears throat> but I love his I love his, his skill. I mean, he, he he's super quick. I mean, when he's running his routes and when he's stepping on a dime, man, he's what we call a cockroach killer. Anytime he's playing <laughs> and putting that that, that that cleek in the grass, he's killing cockroaches because he's playing with a lot of force. And he's extremely quick. But for him to be an undersized player, he plays big. I can't recall what game it was. It was at home. Dope Campbell. I think it was a, a reverse he had where whoever it was laid him out, but they didn't wrap up. And he bounced off the tackle and kept going. And I was like, wow. Now, instantly, he came to the sideline. They checked him for a concussion. I think he was a bit dazed. But at the, the tough-minded guy he is, guess what? He jumped right back in the fire, and he kept going. So, I, I, now, he's not one of the big-time receivers that we have. Uh, you know, when you look at some of the other, other guys, you talked about Terry, uh, 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 Harrison, and guys like that. Um, but he's a very, very impactful player. And hopefully, you know, he will get an opportunity. But, you know, you got some tall guys like Warren Tom, uh, Thompson. You got some trees out there. But I love what Keyshawn brings to the table and his toughness. Uh, the other guy I want to mention, it's time for this kid to stand up. I mean, it's time. DJ Matthews um, came in with a, uh, a lot of high accolades. Uh, he has hands. I need him um, to really show up big time. And, and be, uh, I'm having a brain uh, a brain freeze right here. Uh, what, what was uh, what was the name the champion the 2013? I forgot Kenny his Shaw? name. Kenny Shaw. Yeah. I Kenny need Shaw. I need DJ. Yeah, I need DJ to be our Kenny Shaw this year. Yeah. And my bad, Kenny Shaw. If you're listening, you know I love you like a brother. You <laughs> train with me in Orlando. I just had a, a brain freeze from Doctor Phillips High School, so of course I know what I'm talking about. But used to train with me in Orlando with Tom Shaw and Disney while we we're in the sports. And <laughs> Kenny, when you know, crazy part, crazy story. Kenny was working out with us when he was in high school, and I used to call Kenny little baby Snoop because at the time he <laughs> reminded me a lot of Snoop Menace. You know what I mean? Kane Forsey had a real good career, but that's who I need DJ to be. He needs to be the Kenny Shaw of our offense, a reliable pass catcher, but a guy that loved to move the chains. And if you remember anything about Kenny Shaw, Jameis loved going his way in big-time third-down situations. DJ, it's your time. Kenny Shaw was the best route runner in, in, in college football. Man, Kenny Shaw was tough out there. Listen, <laughs> Kenny Shaw was doing that when we were working out, and I was a pro, and every summer we would work out with guys. Matter of fact, Vince Williams was there, Carlos, I mean, Ha Ha Clinton Dix, all the guys that were in Orlando would come out and work out with us. And we used to cover Kenny Shaw when he was in high school. 
I knew he was going to be special. That's why I called him called him Lil Snoop Menace. Mm-hmm. He is special. Him and him and DJ, I think, I have a really close comparison i'm glad you said that because it's it's very true and i i think i think he'll have i think he has a really solid season with the quarterback that i'm about to bring up because during the spring james blackman it showed a lot to where he was going uh during uh, spring practices and scrimmages uh i want to get your thoughts we heard about uh, we're familiar with the story you told on a show in 2017 uh before the game of florida state in alabama and atlanta and, and you talked a, a little bit of a, a sneak peek about James Blackman and his leadership and what he could bring to Florida State. Uh, can you bring up about that story that you had um, in the locker room before they stepped out on the field against Alabama and a primetime game? Everybody was looking forward to it for three years. Yeah. Uh, you know, the game was here in Atlanta, um, and uh, myself along with a, a few other former players, we were just in the locker room, you know, you know, you know, just watching, observing, not saying anything to a lot of the guys. Of course, we wanted them to focus in. And right before they were getting ready to break to go into the stadium, we saw this little slim kid standing up in front of the entire team. And I'm like, at that time, you know, he didn't register to me that this was Blackman from Bell, from, from Glade Central. Hmm. But I'm like, well, who is this little kid standing <laughs> in front of these guys that has never played one down uniform? And the, I guess even... Uh, what was more confusing was that the team gravitated to him. And they were, like, okay with him giving the speech before they went out to face Crimson, the Crimson Tide in Alabama. So I was like, wait a minute. I said, this man is not supposed to play one down. We don't even know if he's going to play any time this year. But he had the audacity to stand in front of the team and give a very, very encouraging speech, by the way. He was on point. I mean, with what he was saying, with his cadence, he was definitely on point. Really? But I was like, well, I'm, sh- I'm shocked. So myself, along with some of the other former players, we were looking at each other like, are we really watching this unknown player who's not supposed to play, who's not a starter, give the pregame, the, the, the speech right before you go to the football field? But that's who he is. That's his personality. And I think what really pointed out something to me was that everybody was like listening to him. Nobody was like, man, sit down. Nobody was like that. Everybody was listening to him. So that told me they saw at that time the leadership's qualities that he has as an individual, as a player. And when you play the quarterback position, I don't care if you don't want it or not. That's a leadership position. It comes with the territory. And right now, you know, hopefully he can go, go into camp and do what he's supposed to do. He had a head of a spring. Had a heck of a spring game, but I believe he set up to do great things based on his skill set, based on his leadership, and also, too, this scheme should really help him. Don't you see, like, a close comparison just as leadership-wise between, you know, Jameis did the same thing when he was young. We heard tons of stories. We also saw clips before the Clemson game and Death Valley being about as relaxed as he can get with a Gatorade uh, cup in his hand, just smiling and talking to him. Powerade. We don't drink Gatorade. Oh, Powerade. Powerade. Yeah, my yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah, All right, yeah, we'll yeah. cut it. We'll cut it. <laughs> but <laughs> with the with the Powerade in his cup, uh, smiling and all that kind of stuff. But talking to veterans in there with Jimmy Jernigan and other guys like that, big leaders, um, and Telvin Smith. But don't you see a close kind of comparison with the leadership with James Blackman being young and how Jameis was in his early years at Florida State? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. I think the difference between the two players, Jameis was more vocal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jameis was more vocal. He was more, uh, um, you know, energetic in his display of leading. 
Um, but yet and still, you you want that from your quarterback. Uh, you want that respect from your quarterback. Everyone respected Jameis. Uh, the difference between the two players, Jameis came in with high regards. Remember, James, uh, James was nothing more than a three-star player. So the expectations clearly were not on the same level, but yet and still they potentially can be, you know, with uh, a black men having an opportunity to potentially be the starting quarterback for this upcoming season. But, yeah, I like that comparison for the, for the leadership standpoint because you want to have a quality leader that players respect on and off the football field, and that does a lot when it comes to trying to win ball games. Yeah, and, and speaking on players that, that you're excited to see uh, in 2019, you noted on uh, Samuels earlier, um, but could, is there anyone else in FSU secondary uh, that you're excited to see next season, uh, such as a guy like uh, Jaden Woodby? Yeah, I like Woodby. Uh, moving back to the secondary should be huge. I love seeing Stanford Samuels uh, Jr. back at his natural role playing the corner. Um, but one guy I'm excited to see, uh, is, uh, Dent. Uh, yeah, I came Dent. Yes. Uh, from, yeah, yeah, from Palm Beach. Uh, I've been hearing great things about him. Uh, he had a heck of a spring. He just has a knack for being around the football. And whenever you have a player like that, good things always happen. And he also is a guy that loves to get dirty. He doesn't mind, you know, sticking his face in the fan or, or trying to be around the football, uh, tackling and things like that. So he's just a football player and he loves football. So I'm excited for him because, you know, he came in, you know, a lot of people were trying to get, get him, you know, uh, to, to sign with their respectable schools and he decided to come to Florida State. And hopefully he's an individual that can bring some of that uh, uh, swag and, 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 and the confidence back in the second day that we have grown accustomed to seeing. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, Florida State needs that mentality back, absolutely. Yeah. You kind of noted on Kendall Browse earlier, but how do you feel about the way Taggart's revamped the offensive coaching staff with the higher Bryles along with Randy Clements and Ron Dugans? Well, something that he needed to do based on how bad the offense was last year. Uh, I think – the two most important additions to the offensive staff is Browse and Clements. And I say that outside the title, offensive coordinator is extremely important, but Clements was basically handpicked by Browse. So that tells me they're going to work hand in hand with each other. And that also tells me the development of the offensive line will dictate how successful this offense will be. And I think that means a lot based on how bad the offensive line has been as of late. So I think those are the two most important additions because, you know, Dugans, even though he's a new addition, he's not new to Florida State. Um, you know, he's a Florida State uh, guy at heart. He played at Florida State even though he was at Miami doing what he was doing, but that was more so business than anything. He still loves Florida State. These two individuals have no ties to Florida State. So I think having these guys come into the fold to really help us do some good things is important. And like I said, the success of the offense definitely plays a lot uh, to the success of the offensive line. Yeah. One last question for you, uh, Brian. Uh, what, what kind of record keeps Willie Taggart in Tallahassee for another year? He had a rough season last year going 5-7, and seven, and, and the, probably the biggest part is, of course, not going to a bowl game, but also losing to both Miami and Florida. But what, what kind of record keeps him in Tallahassee, and what's your uh, record prediction? You know what? 
sports in Portland, you got to win a bowl game, um, not just barely getting getting into a bowl. Uh, I think that is a huge factor, number one. Secondly, for me, it's about competing in the ACC. I mean, last year we won the worst teams in the ACC. So when you look at our schedule, how many games we have? We have a total of what? Uh, what 12, 13? Should be 12, I believe. Yep. 12 games. And so the 12 games, Boise, Louisiana Monroe, Virginia, Louisville, NC State, Clemson, Wake Forest, Syracuse, Miami, BC, Alcorn State, Florida. In all honesty, based on what we saw a year ago, right? I mean, this Boise game is a toss-up game because of the first game of the season. There's a lot, there, are, there, are a, there will be a lot of unknowns. Neutral site, but yet it still should be a home uh, game for us. It's in Jacksonville. I, I leave that one as a toss-up, right? <clears throat> Louisiana Monroe, win. Traveling to UVA, that's a tricky, tricky game right there. Uh, uh, Mendenhall has some nice things going on there in Charlottesville, and they played some good football a year ago. So that could be 50-50, but in all in all, we should be able to beat Virginia. We should be able to beat Louisville. We should be able to beat NC State. Clemson, if you lose to Clemson, no knock there because we know what they have going on right now. Wake Forest, that should be a win. Syracuse, Dino, Dino Babers doing good things, but no more Dungy. Dungy has been there for like 10 years. He's finally gone. So they got a new quarterback. That should be a win. Miami, even though we were struggling the last few years, we should have beat Miami the last two years. Hands down. That should be a win. They have no quarterback also. Their offense only going to have two, 10 players on the football field because they don't have a quarterback. So that should be a win. Boston College, I don't know. Please tell me that game is not on Thursday night. Because anytime we travel to Boston College on Thursday night, something bad happens. Thursday or Friday, I do not like playing Boston College on a Thursday and Friday up there, Chestnut Abs- Hill. Absolutely not. Yeah. So Boston College, that could be a tricky one. Uh, what I say, uh, Alcorn State, I think it is, or Alabama State, that should be mm-hmm. one in Florida. Florida's going to be a pretty good tricky ball game. So right now, I see, and just being real, a legit potential three losses. Potential, right? Florida, Clemson, and either UVA or Boise. I don't see us losing to both. We bet not lose to both. And I'm just throwing, I'm just being real based on what we saw last year. So I understand people, we will be better, but some of these teams will be better right now. But the best way to dissect what we expect to happen, expect to see to happen is what we saw from last year. And last year we weren't very, very good. Let's keep it real. That's why we don't want to think about last year. But in all honesty, we 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 shouldn't. And 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 who knows what happens when by the time we play Florida, where they where they might be. The same can be said for Clemson. But I see no more than three losses. Well, if, if he only loses three games, he's probably going to get a contract extension <laughs> compared to last season. Yep, he will. Well, thanks, Brian, for coming on. We greatly appreciate it. I think this ran for almost a 40-minute interview. I, we greatly uh, love what you had to say about your pastime with FSU Steelers and your takes on what's going on now at Florida State. And hopefully maybe next season we can bring you on and get your insight. But thanks a lot for coming on this evening. Anytime, man. Anytime you guys want to talk about Florida State football, man, just, just, just hit me. I'm, I'm always down. Let's do it. I won't, I won't do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, y'all are lucky because I actually record that, so I'll be sending that into a group chat soon. Seventeen five, same color t-shirt.